So during these indeed strange times, I'm never quite certain what day of the week it is. Well, what I am certain of is I'm Paul, and this, this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. So it is the 21st of April, 2021, at 10 past nine in the evening as I'm recording this. Uh, I do believe that is a Tuesday. And I'm sitting here uh, with, I'll, I have to admit this, a glass of whiskey and a cup of coffee. Uh, I couldn't work out quite what I needed, whether I needed the caffeine for a kick or whether I needed something, frankly, more mellow. And as the coffee was hot, I, of course, drank the whiskey and I'm now pondering whether... I should just have stuck to the whiskey, but I do have a mug of caffeine uh, as well as something old and Scottish. Uh, and I'm really quite chilled sitting here down at the studio. Harriet, our eldest daughter, has cooked the most beautiful, beautiful pasta tonight for dinner. Uh, a really beautiful meal. I do think you, you get those questions that people ask, you, you know, if you had the choice of only living on one type of food from now on in, what would it be? It'd be Italian. I think I could probably be Italian. I love pasta. I love pizza. And of course, I love Italian wine. Who wouldn't? <laughs> Who wouldn't love Italian wine? But today, today it's something Scottish because I don't have any wine in the studio, but I do always carry a bottle of whiskey down here. Uh, how are we all doing, people? I hope we're all well and, and dealing with things. Uh, we're in week four, I think. Though it might be week five. No, I think it's week four. And as far as I know, we have at least another three weeks uh, of being locked down to go. The team are still furloughed. Sarah is furloughed. Michelle furloughed me while well, I'm here all hours of the day and night trying to really just keep the things ticking over. I seem to have spent um, a lot of time actually this past couple of weeks either recording or being recorded uh, by other people for one thing or another, which is quite nice. I, I don't mind it at all. I have to, the first time uh, I did record. Uh, my voice, I hated it. I really hated it. I could live, live with being recorded visually, as in video, far easier than I could actually the audio. But actually, as time's gone on, I'm pretty used to it. And so uh, I've spent quite a bit of time either doing image critiques or interviews or whatever else, which is really nice. So thank you to all those people who've had me on their various websites and podcasts as a guest. It, it's uh, it's uh, really lovely. Um I do know that uh, for mastering the, the Mastering Portrait Photography website, I'm a couple of critiques behind. Uh, and on that note, is there a better name for a critique? I thought I thought of that today. One of the things about doing image critiques, I think, and I've just done a huge one with the BIPP, the British Institute of Professional Photographers, is I do think when you call it a critique, on the whole, on the whole, the people who actually listen to it are the people who've submitted images or watch it rather other people who've submitted images. And I think it's a shame. I think really they're useful to everybody. But as long as you're calling it a critique, only the people who are on it will watch it. Or only the people who've submitted images will watch it. So I need to think of a different name on the off chance that we could persuade people that it's entertaining, it's interesting. And of course, you get a chance to see some beautiful images along the way. So if you do have what you think is a better name, 
uh, for an image critique, then please do let me know and I will happily, happily give it a test and see if we get a different audience. We do pretty well on mastering portrait photography, but I do still think on the whole, the people who watch it from end to end are the people who have uh, submitted uh, images. Uh, this past couple of weeks, I know, I know, I know, I know, I'm sorry. It's been a couple of weeks since recording a podcast. And, and believe it or not, it's just because um, a combination of being very busy catching up on things and also at the weekends trying not to be in the studio quite so much. I know I'm a workaholic. Everyone knows I'm a workaholic. My kids know I'm a workaholic. My wife definitely knows I'm a workaholic. But it's usually it's fine because Sarah's here with me and the kids have got their own lives. Whereas at the moment, that's not the case. Sarah's at home and the kids haven't got an awful lot going on apart from jigsaws and cooking the most beautiful Italian food. And so I'm feeling really guilty and finding actually the the weekends I'll go home. But during the week, uh, we've just been really, really busy. One of the things uh, I've done, if you've noticed, I think I've spoken about this once already, uh, but it's worth a double back around and I will keep plugging them, is that we've been building uh, these 3D visuals, these room sets or room settings, which are to help us as a from the business side of portrait photography i mean this website and this podcast are all about portrait photography but they're about the business of it as much as they're about the creativity of it and one of the things we've always used is a set of really good visuals to try and show the client how beautiful their images would look in a finished product it's fine showing slideshows but in the end you've got to convince your client just how beautiful their images are going to look and so we've been building these um, room settings for me personally. I built them just for Paul Wilkinson Photography, the business that got us to where we are. Uh, but we've built enough of them now that we thought, you know what, it'd be really nice if we can offer some of them for free on Mastering Portrait Photography and then some of them for purchase on Mastering Portrait Photography because they are a tool uh, that are really, really good to use. So if you fancy having a look at those, head across to the website, masteringportraitphotography.com, go to the store. Uh, we've put everything into the store. Anything that's downloadable will go into the store for no good reason, except that it makes it a bit easier for me to manage rather than having download sections all over the website, which is really complicated. So if you're looking for something to download or to buy, the store is the place. So go and have a look. Uh, the best I've seen used so far and this is a shout to Dave Llewellyn-Jones, who's one of our members. Uh, I saw some uh, previews of images that he put together using the room sets, and I know he's been putting them into his uh, brochures and uh, flyers and things. They look amazing, and there's one particular particular image, a triptych of a stag that he's put into a living room setting. I'll try and post it somewhere. Just looks phenomenal. So uh, I'm thinking of running like a feature every week on my favourite use of the room setting. So we've been building those and they take time, you know. I've got one running at the moment. Uh, they take about five or six hours to render each one, although I, I don't have to do anything once they're running. Uh, they do take a little bit of time to produce and we're very proud of them. So go and have a look at those if that's something that floats your boat. Because one thing I've always thought is that images really pop when you sit them into some kind of setting, whether that's in an album or whether that's in a frame, or whether it's on a canvas or whether it's on an acrylic, doesn't really matter. Different images will work better in different things, but when you slot them into a home, images just sing, they just come to life. So if for no other good reason, go and download a couple of the free ones um, and drop your images in, you'll see exactly what I mean. There's a there's a, an article and a video up there showing exactly how to use them. So 
no excuses for not it's it's really easy you literally open up the photoshop file and drop your images into the correct layers and it all does everything for you uh, even in beautiful 3d so go and have a look at those uh we've had one longer running than, than i would like product job for a client and i say longer than i'd like only because it's um it involves 3d renderings it's it's the first time we've been in a position where i've had to do this where in the end the product itself will be photographed the bottles that i'm photographing are photographs but the setting they're going to be included in will actually be uh, virtually be a 3D rendering because we simply can't do anything about getting out there and building the plinths and things that we'd like. So I've built them all in a virtual world, lit them in an identical way uh, as they would be or are in the studio. Uh, and then uh, compositing them together. And that's turning out to be really, really effective, particularly as I've gone to the effort of actually building fully working, a fully working light rig as if it was in the studio. The right lights, I've checked things like the profile of the light so that when you shoot in the virtual world using these lights, then they actually look exactly the same as they do in the real world, Uh, which gives us, that's opened up all sorts of opportunities for us in being able to demonstrate studio techniques uh, and illustrating them and drawing up plans and then showing you what an actual picture will look like. So look out for some of that in the future. It's quite interesting, uh, quite enjoying it. It's gone back to a world I thought I'd left. When I left uh, the industrial design world, that was my previous thing, uh, or my very first degree, I didn't think I'd ever go back. But here I am designing virtual worlds and loving every second of it. It's great. I have to admit, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, So that's really cool. Uh, Also, of course, at the moment, we have at least at least another three weeks uh, of lockdown over here in the UK. Uh, But I'm actually now working to that as a deadline. I think things will start to change in three weeks. And so I'm working to that. So I'm getting our website rebuilt, Uh, not from the ground up. I did think about doing it from the ground up. But in the end, really what it needs is reskinning. I don't want to lose all of the SEO that we've built up over the years, all of the good search engine stuff. So uh, I'm just reskinning it and rewording it. But that's been really good fun. And the hardest bit of that actually has been trying to work out what do I want it to look like? You know, in my head, I thought I got really funky, do something completely different. But of course, the reality is we've just very gently or we are in the process of very gently tweaking it, moving things around, putting things in slightly different places, uh, taking some stuff down so it's much quicker and simpler for clients to get or prospective clients to get to where they want to go to. Uh, And so I'm trying to make it really, really easy to use, but also I guess what you want as a photographer, isn't it, is to, for it to be really, really, really beautiful. So I've uh, been up to that. Um, I am really looking forward. I have to be honest. I am so looking forward to uh, everything just opening up uh, again in, in a few weeks time. And I do admit I'm really, really missing working with our clients. Uh, the head game so far has been OK. I'm still pretty chipper. I'm still pretty positive. Uh, At the end of this, being negative and panicking is not going to get any of us anywhere. That I know. Unfortunately, I don't have an answer for how do we make everything okay. I don't have that. There's no way of doing that. But I do know that panicking and sticking my head in the sand are not good answers. I've got to crack on, got to rebuild the website. I've got to be ready on in the in the hope even if it turns out to be a vain hope i've got to be ready in the hope that in a few weeks time everything is going to open up and i really have been missing working with clients i miss the laughter i miss the joy of it i miss the creativity of it i miss the tears of it sometimes mine it has to be said uh, i miss the hugs i miss the laughter i just miss i just miss all all of it and i really miss my team 
Um, I love working down here in this studio with Michelle and Sarah. And although I quite like the studio being quiet, it means I can really focus on things. The reality is I just miss the guys and I wish they were here every day. I see Sarah every, every day anyway, but uh, obviously at home. But I just wish during the day my team were around me. So that's uh, that's where we are. I'm really, really looking forward to things picking up. I'm really, really looking forward to the energy and the drive again. But we have to be ready for it. And on that happy note, this podcast is all about getting our website and our portfolio sorted. And in particular, the portfolio. So website design is what it is. I can't say that I'm particularly good at it. Um, I have a reasonable eye for it and I'm a control freak. So I love to have control over the website, every aspect of it. So if it goes wrong, (laughs) it is my fault. Uh, We've simplified some of it to bring the costs down a little. I had too many layers of firewalls on there that was paying for lots of it. So uh, for one reason or another, I've ended up with that. So I've managed to to strip some of that out uh, without any performance or security hits, but it has saved me a few hundred pounds a year. In fact, it saved me about 500 quid a year, so worth doing. Uh, We're rebuilding and rewording, which I quite enjoy, just tweaking the graphics and repicking the images that sit at the head of each of the sections. And that's really what this podcast is about the process of putting together your portfolio. So the first and most important thing about getting your portfolio sorted is very simple. Just do it. Oh, there's no other way of putting it. Just do it. There is no right or wrong answer to it. You just have to do it. I've been spending the past week really looking at it and it's really lovely. It's really cathartic because our portfolio is just full of memories for me and while on the one hand I really am missing our clients it's given me and Sarah a chance to look at pictures and talk through some of the stories and just generally enjoy enjoy the the kind of recollection of each of those shoots we're a little bit like winemakers going through the barrels in a cellar there really are as we go through this portfolio it's quite scary actually there are some really good vintages there are some years where i was doing pretty well and then there's some other vintages where i think we produced vinegar (laughs) i don't think the pictures were that good we can see them in there because of the way we build uh the the portfolio so going through them is really really lovely it is time consuming uh but it is a properly enjoyable process and what i've done is i've built uh an asset management site a website uh i've gone back to this is what it's to do for clients uh i built i was the architect for pearson education and dorling kindersley's asset library uh, and so I've actually gone back to that, all the things I learned then and built an asset management library, which basically is a way of organising your images that you can always find something. You can find something that you might have been looking for, but also you'll find things that you might not, not have been looking for. And with the number of images we have in the portfolio, it's in the tens of thousands. And I know that's a big number, but there's a reason for it, which I'll explain. Um, so it's taken me a couple of build, days to build the website and now it's taken me nearly a week to upload images. I'm halfway through our portfolio of portraits just for a moment and there are about 6,000 images in there that have got to go up. Uh, we do use Dropbox. We've had Dropbox at the heart of our um, business for a long time but it's not really so effective as a portfolio because there are some things you need for a portfolio. It needs to be easily searchable. It needs to be... Um, not in folders directly, or it needs to be in folders that you can manipulate. So an image can belong to many different locations. Um, it needs to be available from anywhere 
at any time. So you've got to be able to log into it remotely on a phone or an iPad or from a laptop in an airport, wherever you might be. You've got to be able to get to it, bring down an image and then use that that image or those images. So uh, a typical asset management system has all of these uh, factors. So some things to bear in mind, and these are the things we've learned over the years about building up your portfolio. Firstly, it has to be an ongoing task. Now, <laughs> here's me saying this, and also in the same breath saying I've just spent a week building it. No, I've spent a week building a new platform on which to manage our portfolio assets because it needed doing. I needed to build a location, and I've, I've needed to do it for about three years. But over the past three years, whenever I ever had about six weeks of time where I'm not under the pressure of everything else to get this done. So um, I've had this time. Uh, to build it, you needed to do it on an ongoing basis. You can't, you can't do it all at once for a couple of reasons. One, it's a big task. And the other is that you need time with the images. You need to let everything settle just like a winemaker or a whiskey maker. Maybe I should have used a distiller as a better example, a whiskey maker, because everything just needs to sit and settle for time. And then when you go back to it, the portfolio sort of emerges a little bit easier than you sitting down during the shoot. However, as an ongoing process, you need to start earmarking images or else they will just disappear. And that, if I'm honest, is my biggest weakness. I'm not good at the ongoing, being really organised, being really methodical during the time of the shoot. I'm far too just into it and it's creative and I'm really enjoying it. And then afterwards, we're talking about the pictures to go to the client and everything else. But here are some things you can do. So firstly, when we, um, each time we show a client their pictures or when I bring them into Lightroom, we always add some simple keywords. Now we do use folder names. So we have um, subject folders, so sort of topic folders and then the client folder. So our folders are things like weddings at the Manoir, weddings at the Crazy Bear, uh, lifestyle portrait shoots, headshot portrait shoots, business commercial portrait shoots. These are the top level catalog. These are the top level folders. And then within those are our normal job folders. And whenever I export uh, an image, those folder names are buried into that image. And that means I can always search for give me everything I have that's a headshot. Give me everything I have that was taken in June that's a lifestyle portrait. It's really easy for us to do. And having a structure like that, gets me quite a long way down the road of keywording. I don't have to add really sophisticated keywords. Um, I just import it that way. It goes into Lightroom with those keywords. And that way, I know later on down the line, I'll be able to find useful images. Now, when the client comes to see their photos at the end of a couple of weeks or three weeks or sometimes a bit longer as it is at the moment with the lockdown, we or I have also picked out so that our workflow here is simple. He says simple. Of course, it's simple. It's simple to me. It's not necessarily simple to explain. Um, I take the pictures. I back them up. I stick the keywords in. I rename them. Sarah selects them. So they go straight from me. Once everything's backed up, they go straight to Sarah, who goes through and decides what's appropriate for the client to see. And that's a that's a process in itself. We could describe that all day. And maybe I'll get Sarah to sit down and talk through the process and the psychology she uses for that. But let's just assume for the purposes of this, the images come back to me. I split them and we call it level one or level two or accept and reject. We use level one or level two because it's what they did at Dorling Kindersley and I just learned it. Um, it was their process and I just adopted it uh, while I was working there. So I've got 
in my folder, let's say I took 300 images. I've now got 50 images ready to show the client. I'll colour those, I'll retouch those, I'll generate the JPEGs and PSDs and anything else I need to do from there. I will then pick out, let's say, 10 or 12 that are my heroes. Some, some shoots will have more, some shoots will have fewer, but they're my heroes. And I mark them with five stars in Lightroom. And the great joy about Lightroom is if I export them from Lightroom as JPEGs, of course, those stars get carried into there. So I can track that. I can use a little bit of code, read whether it's got a five-star image and do things later on down the line. But the joy of it is that at the end of the reveal, during the, or during the reveal, we show the client all of their images, but we also show them those 10 or 12 images that I think are really, really beautiful, really worth their consideration. Uh, we mock them up into frames, and that goes back again to my point about the room sets. We actually, in the slideshow, include some of those images set onto a wall or set into an album page to show just how beautiful they are. They're title, Paul's favourites, um, and they really are just a way of, of showing the client that um, there are some beautiful images in there, and these are the ones that we would recommend they consider first and foremost. They don't always, of course, but it's just a kind of psychology thing to show that we really, really care and really, really think that they have some incredible images to uh, enjoy and have a, a look at and to consider for purchase, of course. This is a business thing. Those five-star images are automatically copied across to Dropbox for me. So I have these great big sets of folders in Dropbox with uh, five-star images, and that automatically gives me access to those on my phone or on a website or on a, a browser, wherever I am in the world. But... It's, it's good for that, but it's not perfect. So what we then do is when I archive that job, let's say in, I don't know, six months, I guess I archive it about six months. So the image, the, the job folder will stay on our live disks for about that time. And then maybe six months, sometimes a year, depending on the job, when it's closed out, all the orders are completed and I'm really happy with it. I'll archive the job, but I'll go back to all of the five-star images and decide whether any of those heroes are keepers. So heroes to us are images that have a lifespan that's attached to the job. They're going to be there for a while. They're the images I liked at the time. But keepers are something different. Keepers are the images that might do well for competition. They might have been featured in a magazine. They might be images that I just know will work really well as a cover of a portfolio book etc, etc. You know, they're proper. These are the images that I really now think, out of those heroes, these are the one or two from that shoot that really might go somewhere. And those images are stored away. They're kept in the same Lightroom catalogue, but they are duplicated onto their own disk that's backed up separately. And those are the images that will form the portfolio. So it's a kind of staged approach. It starts with Sarah, who gets rid of my, my crappy photography. <laughs> There's then me that decides what's going to be the hero or which are going to be the heroes that we're going to show the client. And then after a period of time, and I keep coming back to that, that period of time is quite important. When I'm going to archive the folder, then I look again, decide usually from the heroes, but occasionally it's just an image that I hadn't noticed. Those images are going to go up into the keepers folder. And then the image, then the whole job is archived away. I can always go back to that disk and drag more images back if I wish. It's not a problem. Um, now, I, am, I will admit here, and I'm, most of you know this, I am a little bit of a geek. 
Uh, and so there are some other things I do when I export out of Lightroom. We also do things like carry in each image. Um, we measure the average lightness of the image and then I put a tag in it, whether it's a dark, a medium or a high key image. Um, we also put in there things like if it's taken in uh, which season the image was taken in, whether it's winter or spring, because this allows us to do some really nice searching, like give me all of the dark images in winter. Give me all of the high key images taken in the summer. It's not a great, it's not scientific. You know, some high key images are really wintry images, but it just allows me to look for interesting things. So if I decided I wanted to run uh, something on social media that's a nice, dark, gloomy image in November, I can go back to the portfolio and say, give me all of the autumn, the dark autumnal images that you have. And I, uh, maybe even further again, I say, give me all the portraits that were dark and taken in uh, the autumn. So it's a really useful trick. Um, not everyone's that geeky, I admit, but you can always work things out like that. You can just create little folders. So uh, the package we're using, a, a package called Resource Space, um, allows me to create multiple um, they're called collections of images. And an image can belong to dozens of collections. It can belong to a portraits collection or a winter collection or um, a high key collection or a studio portrait collection. And that way, when we're looking for useful images, we can find stuff. Also, every user on there, so myself, Sarah and Michelle, can all set up our own collections and just chuck images in and keep them so they're useful things that we found. We can bung them in there. There are lots of ways of doing this, but for us, it's really useful, particularly after so many years now. We have got, I'll, I'll do a count in one of the podcasts, but I think it's about 10,000 images will be on the website. So we have to have a way of finding stuff. We have to have a way of figuring out what might be uh, useful. But the hardest bit still, even with all of that, the hardest bit is still figuring out what constitutes a portfolio image. And as a photographer, that's really hard. And there isn't, just for reassurance, there isn't a right or wrong answer. But in the end, it has to be whatever you want your brand to be. This is your story. It's your brand. And so your portfolio is that. What story do you want to tell? And of course, the thing to remember is that story is evolving every day. So the images I put in the portfolio today are not the images I'd put in last year or the year before or the year before that, which is why I laugh and say, do you know what? Sometimes the vintages were not so good because at the time I thought they were. Of course I did. I never thought I was just having a bad year. It's just that compared to what I would now pick, those images are not what I would choose if I had the chance again. So we back everything up. I can always go uh, back to it. But when you pick out your portfolio, and you drop an image into a frame. One thing we do here at the studio is we have a big frame in the window and every few weeks we print a new big A2. It's a, it's a big frame. We print here a big A2 picture. We stick it onto uh, a backboard, into a frame, and we display it. And it's a lovely thing. It's only one image every three weeks, but it's still a lovely thing. And it just reminds you how beautiful images look when they're presented properly and they're hung on a wall or they're framed or they're put in an album so anyway that's what we're up to um i love it i absolutely love it and i've been so enjoying it and so one of the things i've also done off the back of that is uh, at sarah's request i know my instagram feed went a bit quiet i'm not a, i'm not great with social media if i'm honest 
Uh, I think it drives me more crazy than anything else. And so I, I take time out from it regularly. And I haven't been on Instagram for a while, not in any meaningful sense. I know the Mastering Portrait Photography uh, Instagram feed, which Sarah runs, is brilliant. She's doing an amazing job with that. Uh, my Sarah. Uh, but my own PWP, Paul Wilkinson Photography, Instagram has been a little bit quiet. So uh, going through our portfolio has been just wonderful. I, I know I tripped over the other day a picture of Molly, one of our clients. Just a lovely picture, simple picture, laughter. And so I'm really enjoying going back through them and posting some stuff. And I think I'd recommend that to everybody at this time when we really can't take as many pictures as we used to, but you still can make the most of the back catalogue that you have. Get that portfolio sorted. Get those images out there. Remember the stories. Remember why it is that we are what we are, portrait photographers. Anyway, that's me for this week. Uh, I do need to get back to it. I still have several thousand images to get through, uh, as well as a website that is half finished. It's not ideal. I'm having to make changes to a live website. I keep breaking bits and having to fix it that night because <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody on there at the time. Um, I've tried using the staging tools that my web provider gives me and they are not working. So I'm having to do everything live. So if you log on to Paul Wilkinson Photography and find a button is missing or an image is broken, that probably means that somewhere on the other side of the world, I'm sitting with a glass of whiskey and a cup of coffee, breaking things and fixing things. So please, everyone, if you're still in lockdown, as we are while I'm recording this particular podcast, please, please, please do stay safe. Stay at home and whatever else, get that portfolio sorted. Now is a wonderful opportunity. And until next time, remember, be kind to yourself. Take care.